Hey friends, welcome once again to the Virtually Agile podcast with Chris Stone, the Continuous Improvement Coach. What have we got for you today? I am joined by an Agile leader as we discuss the state of the Agile market, articulating your value in an Agile world, and the different types of Agile leadership, catalyst versus expert. Want these episodes right off the editing floor? Then do the thing and subscribe to the show. Enjoy. Oh, hi there. It's Chris Stone, the Continuous Improvement Coach here on the Virtually Agile podcast. Today, I'm welcomed I'm welcoming someone to the show who I've had the pleasure of seeing on three different occasions now in three different countries in the last month alone. Lucky me. The organizer of the Agile Prague Conference, author of the books The Agile Leader and The Great Scrum Master, a certified Scrum trainer who has certified thousands of Scrum Masters and product people across the globe. Welcome to the show, Zuzi. How are you? Ah, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very good. It's my pleasure to be on this wonderful show and talk to you. You know, it's always fun. We just seen each other in Vilnius two days ago, so it's not that far. It's not far. I only saw you in Vilnius a few days ago. Then the, the week before that, it was Amsterdam. And, and maybe a few weeks before that, it was Prague at your conference, which was a lot of fun. My first time at the Agile Prague conference. Thank you for having me there. Right. Yeah. We always like to see you there, so. So, Zuzi, I'm keen to hear your thoughts. We seem to be at this this crunch point at the moment in the Agile world. We're hearing about companies letting lots of Agile people go. And I hear from the Business Agility Institute and some research they did for the Scrum Alliance that companies are looking for Agile skills still. They, they remain relevant, just not necessarily Agile people. What's your take on what's going on out there? So, first of all, you know, the life now is not really that simple. We have the economic crisis going on. So there are a lot of layoffs in all areas. I'm not sure that's specifically Agile or anything, which would be very like much more in Agile space than anywhere else. Uh, that's the first perspective. Then also at the end of a day, when you look into who those people were, who were laid off, very often they were not really agile people exactly. They were those fake agile people. So you look into delivery managers, you look into project managers with some terminology, you look into schedulers, right? So now were they the real agilists who first know what the coaching is, is about and coach it, who know what the facilitation is about and can do it, who understand this mindset, the shift, and who are leaders in the first place at all, so they can actually help the organization to change. So very often what I've seen is those people who got laid off were not really doing what they were supposed to be doing. And I don't blame them. You know, they might be hired for their jobs. So look in the interviews, right, the advertisement. Like, um, they are really looking for Scrum Master with Jira or technical expertise. Well, forget it. That's not the role, right? So if you are hired for the wrong role and you don't have enough strengths in yourself or leadership in yourself to be able to break it and fight it and do it differently, well, then you end up doing wrong role under nice name, but then you might not achieve that change. And it's not simple. So maybe you are hired in an organization which is completely screw up, definitely not ready. Now, 
Can you still help them to shift? Maybe yes, but again, you might need to reframe who you are and how you work. So I was working as Scrum Master for many years, but I never had a position being a Scrum Master. I got a position being senior developer or whatever I was before with a KPIs on coding, for example, right? But I break it. I said like, yeah, nice. Now they want me to be a Scrum Master. The customer actually requested it in the first place. So I said, okay, I'm going to act that way and I'm going to do it differently. And I think because it works, our team were more profitable than the other teams in the organization. In not that long time, actually, we were better, right? And it was possible to see even from like high level metrics in the company that no one ever questioned it. They all knew I'm actually not coding anymore. But they still pretend I'm a developer. So I pretend as well on their side. I said, I don't care, but I'm actually not doing it. So I think that's part of this thing. And eventually when I took over the engineering department and HR, part of it was that it was just working. So again, nobody really questioned if you're a scrum master or not. They didn't care, but they see the results. So maybe the question is, what were the results behind those people? And I'm not saying it's simple. I failed many times. But, you know, in some cases, when it was successful, it works like a snowball effect. And then no one cares how, what's your title. So titles are important, right? What the work behind you is. So here is one thing. We have a lot of Scrum Masters uh, and Agile coaches, apparently, growing from technical positions, as I did. And the technicians, we are very often having this low self-confidence in like, oh, this is a problem. We like to talk about problems. And this is never going to work. And this is a big issue. Right? That's the language we use, and it's okay. But then if you try to sell the change through that language, it just sucks, right? Is what they hear. So I remember I was coaching three teams, smaller organizations, three pilot teams on one product. And after six months, they were creating a presentation for the top management, the rest of the company, like what's the outcome of their experiment, etc. And they started 10 pages of PowerPoint. First seven, this is a problem. This is a problem. This is not working. This is really bad. And then last three. And by the way, this works really good, but it was close to invisible. So I like see it. And they asked me, what do you think? So I said, well, do you want to continue working in natural way or not? So yeah, of course, it's great, right? It works much better. I said, well, that's not what your presentation is saying. So how about if you sweep it order, right? If you have three, not three, but seven actually pages about particular that checklist, those wonderful things you achieved. And then at the end, you can have one slide saying, and by the way, here is our backlog of changes we still work on. And here are the top three, which we need help from you. But it's actually great, right? So it's just the matter of perspective. And I think in Agile space, we very often try to be like talking about those problems and saying people should do something about it. Everybody needs to know, but maybe not. Maybe that's not the most important part. Success scales, not Agile. Absolutely. And this is the thing, uh, something I've learned over my years of working in the Agile space is that people don't buy Agile, like customers don't buy Agile, they buy results. That's what they're looking for. Leaders are looking for results. They're being measured against the, the, the profitability they can bring about, the, the things that they are being hired and fired for. And if you go to a leader and start just talking about problems in that same way you just described, rather than, hey, here's the, here's the outcomes we've achieved. And agility is a great way of helping you achieve those outcomes or discover your opportunities quicker and find your problems quicker, which reduces your risk, which means you can do something about it faster, 
rather than spending a long time building the wrong thing or focusing on the wrong thing and wasting time and effort and energy doing so. And I love how you are highlighting that. It's just, it's not a simple answer to this. There are many systemic things. It could be that simply we are not setting people up up for success with the very jobs they're hired, hired in for to begin with. You know, there's there's job titles out there called Agile Planner. Have you ever heard of that before? No, Agile Planner. I didn't actually. That's a really funny one. Exactly. <laughs> That's a new that's a new one I saw the other day, Agile Planner. And I, I so I think increasingly what I believe is that people aren't taught how to show the value they've brought in their roles to articulate that value. You take a you take a class on a framework and it's about how to implement that framework or how to use that framework to to bring you know, to help your company, but it doesn't necessarily say well, if you do this, these are some of the results you can expect. Here's some of the data that leadership are going to look for. Here's how you then tell the story of the value you're bringing back to both the teams you're working with, but also the company to make it really evident that you should be here and you should stay here or you should be doing more of this. Yeah, but the part of a problem is also that when you start doing that, you have a lot of people who are like so much deep into those practices that they're saying like, yeah, those goals and everything. But how exactly I should measure velocity? I'm like, what if you stop measuring it in the first place at all? It's not important, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's, uh, they ask for those reports and they're like so much deep into that thing. So it's very difficult for them to look at it from the top level perspective. So I would challenge that thing again. Are we hiring leaders for that position? Because it is ultimately the leadership role. The scrum masters, agile coaches are here to change the entire organization change their culture that's the hardest change and do they have enough experience and knowledge with change management right might sound classical but it's not just about those frameworks those frameworks will only Mm. work if you put that leadership in so i think that's part of why we are failing right now because not many people are there and but also the second part you speak about the value like show them the money right it's the simplest but sometimes that's also difficult. I have a lot of people at classes when we talk about value, they say we don't know what the value is. We just deliver work. Okay. We don't measure it. We yeah. don't talk about it. We are just that little, you know, cock in a machine and that's it. And then it's really like very abstract. Like, what do you mean by that value? They often ask. It's like, huh. So another organization. Wow. And then we have that conversation. So we don't see that. And last week, I got a person who said, we are not allowed to talk to the customer. It's forbidden in our company. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. And then you may be set for failure in some of those organizations, unless you're like super great leader who is able to shift those environments into different environments. That's a really difficult job. And we are hiring people after two-day class with some framework Mm. to do that. One of my favorite metrics, Susie, is not the amount of story points a team delivers, not the amount of things they've churned out into production. It's how often a team engages with their customers and talks to their customers. And you can do this with many things. It's like the days since an event last happened. And you just keep an eye on that. And and remember, remember The Simpsons, if you've watched that, there's right at the beginning in the intro, you see Homer Simpson and he's in his, his job. And behind him at the factory, he's, he's holding some plutonium behind him. There's a sign that says, days since last accident. And as they're updating that sign, someone falls off the sign and then you know, it resets the clock. 
But the same is true of, of when you last spoke to a customer. How many days has it been since we last spoke to a customer? If that number is really high, you're probably going to have a, an issue. You're not going to be as anchored to actually what they're looking for. You might be spending time and effort building the wrong thing and you won't be aligned to the why behind what you're actually doing to begin with. You may just be a Jira ticket machine churning things through one column to the next. But so if I, you're I hired a, to the Jira point. ticket machine, right, then you, and you don't have strong enough leadership experience how to get out of that machine to something different, well, you're set for a failure. Mm. So, uh, and it's not about that I, I will be successful and the other people are not. It's about uh, really like only a few people would make it from that machine and Jira ticket factory to something else. It needs a much better preparation for that. Therefore, I would always start with like, why do you want that change? And what do you want to achieve? And if that's Absolutely. like a real sense of urgency, then I go in and help them. If I see like, hey, we don't really need anything, we are fine. Then just do it, right? But don't ask me to go in because I am the changer, right? I change companies. I don't keep them the same. So are you ready for that change? And that needs to pay back. So it's also about that readiness, right? And sometimes they aren't ready. And sometimes you do need to fire a client. You need to say, hey, you're not ready to be working with me. I'm not here to just say yes to you. I'm here to challenge you. I'm, help I'm here to disrupt how you're currently doing things. Because if you want the same results, then keep doing the same things. Exactly. But if you want right. change, if you want to achieve what you're looking for, you need to experiment. You need to try something new. You need to change a variable in your system to try and bring about that change. And as you said earlier, start with a why. Whenever I work with a new company, a new team, a new client, it's always, hey, what are you trying to achieve? And then how are your ways of working? I don't mention Agile. How are your ways of working helping you achieve that? And then lastly, what's telling you that you're continuously improving your ways of working? What's the data that suggests you're on the right track? And that usually tells me everything I need to know to get started with them. And if they're not ready for that, then yeah, I might not have to work exactly. with them. But it's uh, us, right? There are people who are like, desperately looking for a job because they need some jobs. So they take any job pretty much, which is relatively okay-ish. And then but they are really, some of them set for failure. So I think, how can we, the question would be for me, was always like, first, when I started, make sure that everybody around me, you know, I live in Czech Republic, everybody around me knows about the Agile. And so there is like no question like, oh, what is it? Like, really? I never hear about it? Right. Then the second was like, okay, they know about it. They start trying it, but they actually don't understand it. They do it so wrong. So I shift my goal and say like, they need to, I really want people across the globe at that time, like understand the real mindset. So they at least know where is the star on horizon? Where are we heading towards? And why is that? And why is it important for us? Those type of things. And I think I'm still there. That's the reason why I wrote those two books, The Great Scrum Master and Agile Leader, The Great Scrum Master specifically, because I've seen so many Scrum Masters like struggling in their job. And I felt like that is what I learned over the years working with teams, right? So let's share it. So they can just update and don't have to go to my class. And uh, that's also why I wrote The Agile Leader, because I thought there is a work which needs to be done at the organizational level. So let's explore that as well. But those are like just a few things, right? But really, why we are changing and what competencies do I need to help that organization to change? Well, there we go then. So your, your books, the Agile, the Agile Leader, tell me about what makes a great Agile Leader for you. So first of all, well, I just need to say that very explicitly, I'm not saying the leader is a manager. That's two different things. So everyone is a leader. 
It's um, a state of mind. It's your decision. Am I feeling confident? And do I have willingness to take over the responsibility and ownership and do something and own something? It could be a small thing. Like, let's talk about the tools we're using. They're not supporting our way of working. Let's do something about it. And you form a team, team around yourself and you just help that team to come up with a better idea. And then that team might disappear and you might just participate somewhere else. So it's also emergent leadership. It's like you see a problem or issue, idea or dream, and you go for it. And if it's a relevant problem, idea, dream, then the people will follow and help you to improve it, fix it, or change it. If it's not relevant, well, then, of course, you're alone and you have immediate feedback. Well, I was not clear. It is important. They don't see it. Well, then what can I do? So they will see it. It's still your job as a leader, right, to be clear on your visions and dreams. Or maybe it's not relevant for us. Maybe it's not important. Yes, it would be nice, but we have bigger problems to be solved. And that's also part of that feedback, right? So it's a state of mind and it's the willingness to take over the responsibility and ownership and go for your dreams, let's say. I love the, the focal point at the beginning of what you said there around it's at all levels, right? You don't need a title to be a leader. It happens everywhere. And my aspiration is to help create leaders at all levels of an organization. If they aren't there yet, to help them become them, to lead by example, to mm -hmm. exemplify the behaviors that we know we want to be demonstrating. But that's very and difficult, the, the right? Because a lot of the people are at the expert level, if I use the Bill Joyner's uh, scale on that, right? They are the expert, they can advise people, and they are really good at it but they are not ready to help other people to become other leaders than experts as well. Then we have those achievers in bigger organizations, setting goals, etc., building groups of individuals, getting the buy-in, showing them the ladder. It, again, can motivate, but at the end of the day, the more agile we go, the more flexible we go, the higher autonomy we have, the more complexity we deal with, the more creativity we need. We need more catalysts. And now look at, you know, the, his research. Only 10% of managers, he did on, on managers, right, would be catalyst leaders. Now, I would assume, I didn't do that research, uh, but I would assume that if you look into the overall population, it will definitely not be bigger than 10%. It might be smaller. But being optimistic, it's again 10% maximum. Well, that might be the reason why we're not moving that fast. Because they also would not be concentrated equally on organizations. They would be more gathered in one type of organization and completely absent in some other organizations. And that's also part of the reasons why Scrum doesn't work in some organizations. Because if you try to build it with expert leaders, it's not going to work. Because they're not ready to let go. They're not ready to give autonomy and trust to people. And if you're not ready, you so just for, can't build this nice environment. For any of our listeners who are unfamiliar with some of the categories of leadership you've mentioned there, catalyst leader, expert leader, let me let oh, let me give you an opportunity to share what each of those mean. Yeah. 
So a relative expert leader is a person who is like, if you've been first, uh, usually people, when they are first promoted as a team leaders in classical organizations, you're promoted because you're the best. You know better than the others. You have your experience. Maybe you were doing it for a couple of years, right? So you were learning for a couple of years. So the whole goal is to, you're more experienced, you can help others. So you share your ideas, you teach them how to do things, you create uh, maybe some uh, uh, processes, some checklists, like be aware of this and do it exactly this way. That's what you can do. And you can help other people to learn that, but there is a limit, right? You can work with maybe 10 individuals and that's it. You don't have a bandwidth to work with like thousands of people. And also, there is a limit on creativity because you work with individuals and you give them pretty much preset ideas. So it has its own limits in various different ways. So eventually, as the organization grows, the leaders need to grow as well and you need to get more achiever leaders. So the typical would be like the goals and objectives, right? You set the goals and objectives, you measure, you might give a few guidelines. By the way, you're still an expert in sight, right? You didn't disappear from that place. You're still expert on something, just not on everything. Those other people might be experts on certain things as well, in the best case, right? And But you give them the goals and they climb that ladder and achieve it step by step, year by year, month by month, whatever is the granularity of that goal. And then we have catalysts who actually look at the organization as a relationship system. And are able to say, okay, I don't know everything. I am still an expert, by the way, on this, this, and that, because I've been doing it 20 years now, for example. But, and I can set some goals for certain things because it might look like a good idea. It might help us to unify and go to some direction. Yes, I can do it. But what I also can do, I can step back and just hold that space and give them a space to self-organize. And that's behind all that scrum, which is not that visible for a moment because everybody is looking. We have a backlog. We have daily scrum. We have retrospective. Very important. Don't take me wrong. But it's not about it. From like the real, real, real mindset perspective, it is about becoming a catalyst leader who can actually create an environment where those teams could be successful. You trust them enough. Those are the best people you could ever seen before. And through those lenses, you look at them and yes, we give them sprints. So they have a short feedback loop. We have retrospective. So they learn. We have daily scrum. So they really talk about things frequently and many other things. So we give them certain boundaries and sticks, walking sticks in there. So it's easier to navigate, but we actually trust them. They're going to do the best job actually with us stepping back and then interfering with them. And that's very difficult. Trust people. What if they screw or what if they would stop working? We'll see it, right? And we'll talk about it. We'll have a conversation like adults. But it's a very difficult thing to do. It took me a couple of years, by the way. And now I can do it because I got used to it. There would be definitely a men's where I will not be willing to do that. Everybody has their own limits, right? So, but in typical, like, team-oriented environment, I would be fixing up your team. We talk about it. We build the team intentionally. It's not like taking random people and saying, you're a team and do nothing, right? You really build that team from a group of individuals. 
create an identity, help them to have those bonds and relationships together. But then you step back and they figure the rest. If you fix the relationship among people, they will fix any problem, which needs to be. And if not, well, of course, it will screw up and no scrum will help you with that environment anyway. You've reminded me of a great quote that I saw. I can't remember who it's attributed to now, but they say that building software, that's easy. It's the people side that's the hard part. Right? Isn't it, right? And you can't, you, ca you can't just chuck a group of individuals together and say, hey, you're a team now, and suddenly they're a team. A, a team is not just a group of individuals. They are aligned around a common purpose. They have hopefully had the ability to co-create how they will work together. And... Let's be honest, folks. I'm going to tell you right now, I cannot code a thing. I look, at, I look at code, it looks like the matrix to me, lines of ones and zeros. I have never written any line of code, but that hasn't stopped me being good at what I do. It hasn't stopped me helping teams achieve great things. I am more example of a catalyst leader. I bring about the environment where teams can be their best selves on their best day, be supported on their worst day. I will never stand here and say, you, you know, you developer or you, you, know, you creator, you're the person doing the thing. This is how you need to do the thing because you know far better than I. What I'd rather say is, hey, here's the outcome we're trying to achieve, folks. And I trust you. You know your stuff. And you could do it in a hundred different ways, but you know the best way given our context, our situation, our culture we're facing. Let's figure out the problem together, us against the problem, rather than me telling you what to do. And by, by behaving that way, by starting with that viewpoint, there is so much less resistance because I'm not some external person coming in telling them how to do their job. I'm just there to help create the environment where they can succeed and be their best selves. So maybe we should just start with some leadership assessment before we hire that Scrum Master role, right? And see like which level they are. It could be leadership circle. It could be, I know, Bill Joyner's leadership agility or anything else relevant in that space. And so that person will get a reflection also. What are my blind spots? Where do I really need to focus? But then we would start hiring not for, you know, junior scrum masters who only know the process, but also for senior, you might call them agile coaches, scrum masters, right? Who are leaders. That's a very different role. And I think maybe we should do, a, we missed something. We missed this HR understanding of that aspect. So if they hired a CEO, they will look into those things. But if they hire a scrum master, they say, oh, that's a process guy. And there's the thing, there is a lot of, I think, misunderstanding out there as to what the depth of experience a scrum master needs to have. You know, it's, they're the low barrier to entry to become a scrum master. You, you go and get a shiny new badge for your CV, a two-day course, perhaps maybe there's an exam in there somewhere, not to belittle those certifications. They're a great starting point of someone's journey. However, there is, I think sometimes there's a bit of a promise or there's an expectation that some people have been setting that, hey, if you, if you do these courses, you will get this high paying job and you'll land yourself as a scrum master. And then those people go into their companies and they become the voice of agile or scrum at that team level. And they haven't been set up to succeed. They have, they're, they're not yet leaders. And then that maybe erodes the, the value proposition of a scrum master or coach because people get a bad experience with it. And maybe they start saying, well, agile is the problem or that certification is the problem. Yeah, so I, I really think uh, those classes where they focus on the mindset, which would be the Scrum Alliance, but also some other people, but not all, of course, where you focus on the mindset, it will give them a good start. But are they able to be successful in that environment? That's a very different story. 
So yes, you can be quite a good Scrum Master if you go to a corporation which already has a coaching, agile coaching mentoring program or Scrum Master mentoring program, some experienced folks who would support you and help you. Well, then yes, of course, it's good enough because you know the background, you understand things and step by step they will help you. But if it's a, even a small organization, I remember they hired a person I knew from a different company. They got about 30 people. Software house. Really, you would say that's simple, right? Like this. And yes, I teach them the same thing as everybody else. But they were like rejecting the idea and they didn't want to, they said, we don't have a time to change. We don't have a time to stop. So they, when we finished the training, they actually went and code overnight. There was already an indication of something wrong is happening, right? They'd say, oh, in two weeks, we would have more time. But in two weeks, I guess it was in other two weeks. I don't know. Long story short, I was there in a year again. And like checking what went wrong because the owner said they didn't really, you know, we most likely did some mistakes. Let's talk and reflect. The scrum master was like a dead person, like a zombie moving through the space. And I remember that one single time when I was with him, like in the elevator, and I asked him like, yeah, so what's going on here? He's like, you know, I was before in that organization and he got that energy flash. And then he went to that team and it was dead. He was like, he did this to this wonderful, knowledgeable Scrum Master. It just killed him completely. So he left the company. It's okay, you know, find another company. He's successful there. And that's a good end, right? No issues. But it was not because he was um, lacking knowledge. He was actually having knowledge and experience. He was just not strong enough leader to shift that environment which was difficult with some, you know, owners doing some things. It was a good intent, of course. Not bad intent. Never bad intent, right? But he was unable to break those patterns and habits and it just boiled him down. So, and I've seen it so many times. So you also, like, for product owners, right, we say you need to understand the business. So for Scrum Master, I think you need to be ready to deal with that culture which is much more difficult to assess unless you try. Who knows, right, if you're going to make it or not. So try it and see. But at the end of the day, just because that organization is small, it doesn't mean they can hire the person with little experience because they might not know how to turn around the organization. Let's explore, and I'm really keen on your answer on this, how can we help people become better catalyst leaders? What's your one bit of advice that people should try today or try tomorrow to try and create more catalyst leaders with either their teams or their companies? So first of all, do you have an experience with... I'm, I'm agileist, right? I did all my life, uh, professional life, well, all, all I remember last many years, <laughs> agile, right? So have you ever experienced entity which worked that way, which in Scrum would be, did you ever work in real, well-functioning Scrum with self-managing team? which would really take over the initiative. And you can just, I have this metaphor when I draw Scrum Master sitting in this yoga position, you know, on a cloud, enjoying how everything is working on its own. And you don't have to do anything at all. And if you try to think what I would do, very soon you realize, oh, they come up with a better idea than I have in mind. So that's that experience you need to have from somewhere, I think. Because if you don't know how that works in a small you don't have this inner trust to let it go in a bigger. So finally, before we go, Zuzi, where can people learn more about you and your work? They can read the books, of course, The Great Scrum Master, The Agile Leader. 
they can listen to my podcast. I have a podcast uh, in Czech language, English language. So just check the right language. Also the conversations with people like Chris and some other wonderful agilists. And you can check my website for the classes we do. And I also do a lot of coaching for teams, for organizations, for individuals. So if you want to me directly, that's just the idea to ask. I speak at the conferences, so you can just go to a conference and hear me. Next one is Agile Testing Days, actually, one of my favorites. So in Germany, Potsdam, near Berlin. So if you want, that's one of the must-go, I think, in Agile space. It's not just about the testing, by the way. I speak about leadership also. Well, that particular one, folks, I am also there you at see? Agile Testing Days in Potsdam. So if you are in the country, if you're in Germany, and even if you're not, come and see both Susie and I speaking. Come and join us. I believe they've got some sort of 90s-themed fancy dress party that I'm looking forward to going to. I'm going to be dressing as Ace Ventura, just so you know. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show with us today, Susie. Thank, Thank you for sharing your insights with us. I look forward to seeing you next month in, in Potsdam at Agile Testing Days. And folks, you know how this works. If you want the latest episodes as they land, do the thing. Subscribe to the show so you get them. Don't stop believing. Thank you, Zuzi. Till next time. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things Agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.